Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwalt. And I'm Eliana Johnson. Welcome to Inkstander Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Before we get to that yeah. this week, Chris, I want to highlight a reader email that our listeners, you guys now, weren't privy to our discussion about whether we were being catfished by this email. But uh, if it's real, it's amazing. If it's not real, it's a really good joke. So we got an email. Chris got an email addressed to Chris. Oh, well. Dear Mr. Steyerwald from Lily in Florida, who says she is 12. And she says... Mo that most of the time she agrees with Chris and finds him entertaining. <laughs> she likes a medium rare steak. Yeah. And then she writes, however, I believe you disrespected the Dinty Moore beef stew. I happen to enjoy it for lunch several times a week. I thought you should know it isn't so bad. Well, so you're the one who talks about the, you know, sneering condescension of the elites. And there you are. Like, I want to, if I left you, Lily, with any notion that I do not respect Dinty Moore beef stew, but in fact, even like Dinty Moore beef stew and have probably in the room we're sitting here, there are, there are six people in this room. I would imagine that I am the person in this room who has eaten Dinty Moore more recently than anyone here. So we've got never, 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 never. Have you ever eaten Dinty Moore beef How stew? How many Jewish people do you think <laughs> Okay. There's some coach, there's like some a really consideration. Jewish yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, well, there's like a cheeseburger is a super Jewish, you know, non-kosher food, but Dinty Moore beef stew, I just don't, it's not really in my wheelhouse. So if I, so I will, I will say, Lily, that I, I like Dinty Moore beef stew. I enjoy it. It would, I would say it's better than Campbell's chunky soup. If given a choice, I would do, I'd throw a can of Dinty Moore on what I was talking about was the bad decision I had made to warm the Dinty Moore beef stew in the can on top of the stove and take it off with pliers as a true hobo. And I learned, as all young men learn. You all hear any gagging in the background? <laughs> like, that would be me. 25, let's just say, let's just say 22 to 25-year-old Chris Steyerwalt did not run a very clean operation. Oh. It was not. It was not high end. The thread count was low. All right, I'm just going to cut this off before we go to a really bad place. I'm going to like get us the on the off ramp here. We're ready for the front page this week. So these are the stories that we thought were most important. And there's one I, I had, it had not been front of my mind, but it should have been, Chris. That's you. On the Border Patrol agents allegedly whipping Haitian migrants. So I read a piece by Philip Bump in the Washington Post. I first learned about this picture, which we've now all seen images of this now. And it said, you know, the, the searing visual into imagery of a white, and I'm not sure that he wasn't Hispanic. I don't, I don't know how the, the agent identifies, but that a white- He looks pretty white to me. But I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. But anyway, I love that these 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 guys crossing the border. They are like running away from a border patrol agent on horseback, and they manage to keep what looks like carry out. Pets. They do well. They have some, managed to some hold on to them. People had obviously come. Yeah. And, and it, let's start with the presupposition on my part, anyway. 
I feel so desperately bad for these people who are in straightened enough circumstances that they left Haiti and went to Mexico. Mexico looked like a better option to try to get into the United States. The failure of Haiti, the chaos of Haiti, the tragedy of Haiti is heartbreaking. And this is a, a testament to how shattered. Anyhow, uh, onto the media. I know, but I'm just, I'm just saying for, so I read this piece by Philip Bump and it's like a, the, vis, the visual image of a white man riding down and whipping with a whip in his hand. It's like, dang, go on, they're using whips down there? That's crazy. I can't believe it. Well, within hours, that story had changed. And Philip Bump wrote through a story. He kept the story up. It's like, well, it's still the imagery. Even though the Im and he, I don't think he addressed it, but it was like, even though this imagery isn't what we said it was, it's still evocative of this thing. This is like there are words. Do you, you remember the? I've linked the current article in the show notes, which is updated. It's now what one photo from the border crisis from the border tells us about the evolving migrant this is, crisis. This is like the term. And it just says at the top, this article has been updated without <laughs> indicating how it has this, been updated. This article has been updated as. We won't tell you what we got right. As semiotic garbage. But the I'm I'm reminded of what the New York Times said about Dan Rather's reporting on George W. Bush's uh, military record. They described the memos as fake, fake but accurate. Yeah. <laughs> so, the faith, but you know, there's not a way to have a border. There's not a way to enforce citizenship laws that ultimately is not messy. It's just not doable. You can't do it. There is not a way. Well, that's what Biden's grappling with right now, right? It's right. do we enforce the laws and have to make some painful decisions to turn people around, like needy people around, use some like tactics that you are not it. palatable uh, and get the criticism of the far left to oh, yeah. Free Beacon reported yesterday that his top ICE's new top prosecutor is an advocate for sanctuary cities. So do nothing and reap the political blowback of an open border, basically, or do something and who resigned? Get Somebody the wrath of the far left. High level resignation. Uh, yeah, it was a, a Haitian, yeah. or not Haitian, an American diplomat stationed in Haiti. Who? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and you know the, the thing is, I've I've read coverage that basically linked this to Biden better get all three point five trillion dollars of the social welfare spending package through because the left is very frustrated with him about this other stuff, and it's like. I know the Constitution is not cool anymore. However, this is the president's job. The executive branch's job is we cannot, we cannot, no matter, there are, what, 8 billion people in the world now? Uh, a lot of them live in places like Haiti. A lot of them live in places like Afghanistan. A lot of them live in places like the, the Puntland. Like, it's not great out there in a lot of what places. What was that last one? The Puntland. What is that? What do you call it? Um, Somalia. Oh. It's not great out familiar there. familiar with, with, uh. We're, we're, we're only going to use Evelyn Waugh terms for things for the rest of the show. We'll, we'll, t we'll and we'll also, we'll also talk about what are they, the Levant, the Levant and the Puntland. The Levant I'm familiar with. Uh, up next, another, one of your headline issues. Not mine. Did I yeah. take this? What is it? You, the, I didn't even go in the rundown. You sent to me, you took issue with the business insider oh. headline. McConnell says the GOP will vote for the U.S. to default on its debts, which I'm, I'm I, sure that's not what he said. Yeah, which isn't exactly what's happening here. 
And I added in the Washington Post analysis was Democrats scrambling to avert economic crisis as Senate Republicans say they will vote to allow a debt default. The Senate Republicans are like, we favor defaulting. When the the resolution for the debt to default on the debt comes forward, they will vote in favor. No, that is not what's happening. So let, let me in another stipulation that you will tell me to stop stipulating. It's more than a little churlish for Republicans to refuse to raise the debt ceiling for uh, debt that they already incurred and voted to incur, right? So this the the giant burning elephant of debt deficit spending of the past year, the debt ceiling lift is coming due for that. So I stipulate that part. And the Republicans, if they were, wanted to be responsible, would come back with like a trillion dollar lift to the debt ceiling and say, this is what we, we've got to do, blah, 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 blah. They're not going to do that. They're going to make the Democrats do it. But here's what all of the coverage misses. The Democrats can raise the debt ceiling anytime they want. They have the votes. They can do it because they can run it through reconciliation. They don't want to do it through reconciliation because they will get less than three point. So they've got a $3.5 trillion bill that they want to put through. Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema, and others are like, too high, guys. You're crazy. This is too much. If they also... If that vote also includes borrowing more money, they will get fewer votes, right? Manchin and others will say, I'm, you want me to, to, to drink poison and hit myself in the head with a hammer? No, thanks. The, this is that. And the Democrats can do it anytime they want. If the Republicans are being, irres- or the Republicans are being irresponsible, stipulated, so are Democrats. And Nancy Pelosi lashing a debt ceiling. Their messaging is working very well, though. Yeah, but. Media very receptive to Democrats' message. <laughs> exactly. Headline, our, our headline. These today. crazy Republicans, yeah. why won't they do it? Do you remember when the Democrats shut down the government for two days in January of 2018 over DACA? You yep. remember that? So it's, it, uh, Republicans stink. Yes, Democrats stink. There's no, there are, as is usually the case in covering Congress, no good guys here. It's not like, it's not like you're like, ah, the, the, the virtuous people. Nope, not there. Speaking of no virtuous people. That's our, that's our, that's the our. CNN th- Lowe was red. actually probably the, the CNN Lowe when it comes to using kids as political props was actually oh probably. Play it first. What, what was actually probably when they did the town hall after the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Very bad. Awful shooting. But. They're giving themselves a run for their money, uh, featuring this week. John Berman. kids. Yeah, John Berman. That guy, uh, that guy is frothy. So featuring two teenagers who blame Tucker Carlson for their father's death because he didn't get vaccinated Well, as COVID. Pe- as, Let's play the clip. I was going to say, as people are about to hear, they didn't, but John Berman uh, yeah. definitely did. Why was he so hesitant to get vaccinated, Katie? There, There's multiple reasons, I think. Uh one of which was some of the media that he ingested. He wasn't by any means far right. He was right in the middle and he consumed media from both sides and just some of the misinformation on one of those sides made him hesitant. And Katie, you said from one media source in particular, he was getting misinformation, he was getting information that led him to be hesitant on vaccines. Who, I mean, who was he listening to? Uh, he he watched some Tucker Carlson videos on YouTube, and some of those videos involved some misinformation about vaccines. Mm. And I believe that that played a role. Coaxing them. 
coaxing them. Like, but you were going to say that it's Tucker Carlson. Well, he's like, what? First of all, they say their dad's a centrist who's really not that partisan, but he listened to Tucker and he listened to, you know, whatever, whoever on the left. Or whatever. And so the dad, having weighed these two opinions, you know, made up his mind and decided not to get the vaccine. But they just say, you know, certain kinds of media. And then, like, John Berman goes digging, well, what exactly was his media diet? I, I, Where can we point the finger? I wrote a piece for the LA Times one time about how cable news is horrible. <laughs> and I foolishly, because I was trying to get hired uh, by TV network at the time, and MSNBC wanted me to go on Chris Hayes' show to talk about it. I was like, I don't know. It sounds stupid to go on cable news to criticize cable news, but maybe it'll be great. And of course, I got on. What did he want to say? You worked at Fox. Fox sucks. We hate Fox, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you... Also, like, hey, John Berman, hey, what's his name? Uh, no, the guy who I just mentioned, um, he's got glasses. He's a primetime host on uh, MSNBC. Chris Hayes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go, like, Chris Hayes. Guys, I'm here, like, six months pregnant, but I'm glad one of us has, like, the mental acuity. I don't watch of, uh, TV. You know yeah. I don't watch TV. Well, I watch bad TV. I watch, like, Magnum P.I. and old episodes of Benson, but I definitely don't watch uh, much TV news. So tune into our media podcast every week for <laughs> no. a definitive take on all of this stuff. As a discipline now, as a discipline for our fellow wretches, I force myself to consume cable news every week now, and it hurts. Uh, well, that, this was like just, you almost have to admire, that's like a dirty political, Yeah, you know, just rot. Uh, so I'm not sure I can totally and, the, and these poor kids got, got to admire these, a little these bit. Poor, these poor kids who lost their dad and are trying to raise awareness they don't understand. They didn't understand, of course. Everyone watching them is already vaccinated, right? There's nobody who's tuning at like nine. I, I bet if we were to look at CNN's viewership, we would find the morning. Who's who's watching CNN's morning show? Ninety percent vaccinated. Ninety-five percent vaccinated. There's there's the, that's not a that's not a not a lot of swing vote vaxxers. Yeah, and which is also the Fauci conundrum. Democrats right. are like more Fauci. Yeah. Anyone who would listen to Anthony Fauci on this subject is vaccinated. They are definitely vaccinated. And now Republicans have a crazy Ron DeSantis fetish about hating uh, Fauci. So come on. Up next, former President Donald Trump suing the New York Times and his niece, Mary Trump, over the Times' Pulitzer Prize winning, you know, expose on Trump's tax returns, which I feel like was less scandalous than we thought it would be. But Trump very upset that his niece violated a non-disclosure agreement in providing these documents to the New York Times. The only trouble is, and admittedly, I, I wanted to read through the, the Trump, yeah, through the case that the Trump lawyers are making. And well, you were too busy watching CNN. I was too busy watching John Berman. <laughs> Any, anyway, the courts have found that non-disclosure Well, no, I was going to say that information provided to media that was obtained by that third party through illegal means. Pentagon like, papers. the media is not Pentagon liable. Pentagon case. Yeah, is, media is not liable clear. for that. So I don't see a lot of success for Trump. Yes, but you know how much, I, I forget where he, I think he sued her in the New York Times where she lives in, like, Oswego, New York, or whatever. You know how much it costs to file a lawsuit? Like 100 bucks, probably, 150 bucks. Uh, Trump probably has expensive lawyers, but there's probably... What's his name? The two brothers who used to be conservative and then went all crazy Trumpo. Oh. Whoa. No. Bad day for you. No, come two on. Brothers who used to be conservative? They used to be conservative and then they went crazy mega maga 
uh, and he was one of the president's lawyers in his second impeachment, first impeachment. Which president? Donald Trump. It's like the center for, I can't remember. No, I know who you're talking about. It's father and son. Is it father and son? Yeah. I thought it was bro. Jay Seculo. Yeah, the Seculo. They're not brothers. Oh, I they're... thought they were brothers. No, I, I think Jordan Seculo is a son. Oh, I thought they were brothers. Anyway, why was that Jermaine? I have I, no idea. Anyway, people, maybe some, oh, maybe Jordan Seculo, Jay Seculo filed it for him for free. I don't know. But the point being, this is a stunt that you pull and you can't sue NDAs are ridiculous to begin with uh, and very hard to very hard to enforce. And unless you narrowly have that a person has. So if a person profits by breaking an NDA, you can go after the money that they made breaking the NDA. If I break an NDA, write a book, make a million dollars writing a book, you can come sue me for the profits from that because they are in violation. However, you can't at all touch the New York Times for publishing stuff that they got, whether they found it on the street, what, as long as you can prosecute them for a crime and getting it, but they committed no crime. Finally, this this was like a top contender for my favorite item of the week, where the, it's sort of a follow-up segment from our discussion last week of Elizabeth Holmes, who yeah, yeah, yeah. argues, er, uh, the op-ed columnist at the New York Times argues that Elizabeth Holmes's prosecution is sexist. My dad actually pointed out but wait, the guy who was president of the company is being prosecuted being for prosecuted. the same crimes, which is like an obvious point that, that I didn't make last week. But uh, anyhow, text messages between Elizabeth Holmes and this guy, his name's Sonny, Balwan Bal Sonny Balwani. They were dating and her defense is now that she was under his spell, basically. So that makes their text messages between them relevant to the trial. And an NBC News tech reporter tweeted last night that the following text messages were read at the trial. Holmes writes, you are the breeze in, in desert for me, my water and ocean, meant to be only together, tiger. And his response, his response is, okay. <laughs> so good. What a man. What? That the the most male possible response. The only thing better would be like, "Can you pick up cleaning?" or like, uh, "Grab Denty." Well, the responses the were hilarious. They were like, "He was definitely playing Call of Duty when he got this." And then somebody else tweeted, "Like the only better thing would have been thanks, THX." <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that is so great! So I love, I love that. That is so great. Uh, and I totally, I saw some debate. Uh, I think Amy Walter, the Cook Political Report, Walter was tweeting, like, is okay a passive-aggressive response to a text? I always read it as le as the person's pissed at me. Well, okay. I, okay, I, period, with no exclamation point. Well, period, so, so period, okay, period, as opposed to okay, Cupid. Okay, period means I accept your argument. I like, I am, it is, it is, uh, I withdraw, right? Like, okay, it's like, I withdraw. I got it. Like, we argued about whether we were going to have Dinty Moore. You vociferously. No, what if I say, do you want to meet for dinner at X place? And the response is, okay. I don't get a lot of enthusiasm. So if if it was independent, so if I said, hey, let's meet for, if I sent you a text because I'm an over exclamation point, I, I know. I know, America. Too many exclamation points. I understand. But I'm a cheerful person. I am very happy to be wherever I am. And I never use a freaking X. I know you don't. You'll I know you. Surprised to hear. And I, I'm like I'm just a kidding. I use them, but sparingly. Very sparingly. I am like a human exclamation point. I am large. I am loud. Every every room I enter, people are like, "Whoa, that's a lot." So I I get it. 
I, what does that pun- what does that make me in terms of punctuation? You're a, you're a semicolon. <laughs> you're a semicolon. You're definitely because you're would saving be like Earth. A really funny nerd game. Like what? What punctuation? Don't you think you're a semicolon? Uh, I gotta think about it a little. Maybe bit. you're not a question mark because you're def you're you're curious, but you're not <laughs> ambiguous. So I think you're a semicolon. You're saving word count, and you're a hinge point in the sentence. <laughs> okay, continue. If you said to me, if I said, let's meet for, let's go meet at the Palm, and you would say, okay, I'd be like, she is not excited about yeah, I the choice of lunch. She is like. I am thinking, can we please go to Joe's instead? This is, your husband is a lucky man if you're alternate to the to, to going to one steakhouse. Is, no, we'll go to another steakhouse. Oh, Joe's the best. There you go. There you uh, go. <laughs> Guys, we are, it is that time of the week for our obsessions. Where we're going to break down the stories that we can't stop thinking about. Chris, you are up first. This is kind of a joint obsession, but but I'm so generous and gracious. I'm going to let you have it. Also, joint obsession is the name of the head shop that we are going to open on H Street. Okay. So first, let's play the let's play the sound on this for a little context on Gabby. How do we pronounce her last Petito. name? Petito. Petito. Let's hear the coverage on Gabby Petito. But the way this story has captivated the nation has many wondering: why not the same media attention when people of color go missing? Well, the answer actually has a name: missing white woman syndrome. The term coined by the late and great Gwen Ifill to describe the media and public fascination with missing white women like Lacey Peterson or Natalie Holloway, while ignoring cases involving missing people of color. Okay, so... Well, quick background. She is, of course... For those who haven't, like, clicked on their televisions for the past, like, two weeks, she's the attractive, young, blonde woman who appears to have been murdered by her uh, semi-attractive, young, white boyfriend. She's dead. And her, we are so sorry. I am so sorry for it. It's such a tragic story because it's a story of, you know, the van life. So they were van life people who were going to drive across the country. They were visiting national parks and they were documenting it all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of rootless young people today, right? We're, we're in an era after the pandemic and after all the disruption, we have a lot of rootless young people who are drawn to this vagabond lifestyle. I don't about her lifestyle do you yeah, i thought yeah. they were just doing a tour of the ne- the national parks no this van it nice to me but no it is not she it, was it, uh it, it is not hard it well and and she is she was she was you'll punch me in the face as soon as i say what i'm about to say i understand but i thought of the simon and garfunkel song we're and they, we've gone off to look for america right mm-hmm. they're traveling and looking for themselves and there's a lot of there's a lot of a synergy not synergy there's a lot it favorably compare the rootlessness of the late 1960s and early 1970s with our time today and people are doing it and they're into it and then she's dead and she was and and murdered clearly was the boyfriend what turned to florida in a freaking white van like yeah by the way murder indicator and then has subsequently disappeared yeah refuse yeah and refused to talk to police when she was just missing and lawyered up and wouldn't talk and now is gone so the all of that having been said somehow as you heard in our clip it becomes a story about racism huh? this is uh white woman syndrome charles blow in the new york times is so column on this today i i but i liked i liked the npr take so they they hopped on the bandwagon and have an article 
media fascination with Petito mystery looks like racism to some Native Americans. Very specific. It says the themes and media portrayal of homicide victims. Um, I don't even under. I don't think this is well. Uh, so what article? So if Gabby, if Gabby. Oh, they says so when it's an indigenous homicide victim, the articles were more likely to have negative character framing. This person says in the Probably, article. Maybe, I don't know. More violent and graphic language, really focusing more on sort of like where the homicide occurred versus anything about the victim. What if Gabby Petito was fat? What if Gabby Petito was old? What if Gabby Petito was like a lot of old fat women who disappear, <laughs> right? Whose husbands murder them and are lost forever. They get a blip. What makes her story compelling is not the color of her skin. I guarantee you. That if she was a it is the attractive very attractive pictures. young woman full of promise. Because what makes the story tragic and makes the story compelling is that she's at the beginning of her life. She is at the beginning of her adult life. She is beautiful and she is vivacious. And you're like, here is this person full of hope and hope full of promise. And that is snuffed out cruelly and tragically. It's a very compelling story. It's not because she's white. I promise you, if she was Jamaican. I promise you that if she was Haitian, no, she was a pretty Jamaican. Oh no! Well, all the other, all the other variables, right? Woman, all the, or a pretty Indian woman. All the other variables have yes. to stay the same. Social media influencer, very attractive young female uh, that seemingly has a promising life in front of her. That's a story, no matter what. And by the way, Joy Reid, you know what you could do on your show every week? You could tell stories about missing Black women. There are a lot. It's not like there's a shortage. It's not like there's a shortage of murder victims in the United States. So every day, Joy Reid, you have a TV show. So when you have a TV show and you do media criticism, don't you dare do it if you're not doing the work yourself. Boo. Chris Cuomo tweets, let's save the attention on hashtag Gabby Petito and the concern about neglect of others who are missing can generate sustained interest in finding folks. Another family is desperate. Will you take up the cause? Chris, we'll, we'll be tuning in Perhaps. to your show over the next year to see how often you take and, up the cause of unattractive missing. And she's Italian, right? He's He talks about anti-Italian ethnic bias. She's Italian. She's Paisan. Like, why are you not? Or Paisana, I'm not sure. Why is she? Why is he not uh, taking up her cause? Well, the other I'm, what did her what did his brother say? I'm not perverted. I'm just Italian. I didn't hear that. Yeah, 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 yeah. The other interesting aspect of the story that like makes it newsworthy is that all of these like internet sleuths are helping yeah. the FBI and giving the FBI tips, which is super interesting. I've always been interested in true crime. Yeah, and it this is exactly what happened with the Golden State Killer and Ooh, nice. Pat Oswalt's wife. I'm blanking nice. out her name. But I did read her book after watching this documentary. Oh. She was just, you know, a local yokel who was putting the, you know, spent years researching this stuff. So well, if, that's that's like new and different and I think is super interesting. If you if you want McNamara. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and and she's straightened him out a little bit, I think. She passed away I, suddenly, tragically. I, Probably was covered in the press. Oh my God. Well, another white lady. Horrible. Uh, I for for precedent on this stuff. My favorite murder. There, the did you ever? By the way, did you ever read uh, Devil in the White City? Yes. So I love that stuff, right? I, he, uh, I'm blanking now. I'm blanking on the author's name. Uh, so good. He's so good. Eric Larson. Eric Larson. Oh my gosh! And in the Garden of Beasts. In the Garden of Beasts. <gasps> Dead calm about <gasps> the Lusitania. Dead wake. Dead wake. Uh, but anyway, in. Wyatt Dell, West Virginia, which is in north central West Virginia, up near Morgantown and Fairmont. A man, this is a, the most amazing story. A man got mail order brides 
So, so in the old days, you would post, lo- they had Lonely Hearts columns in newspapers, and he would post advertisements in other cities to attract widows with kids. And he would say, I'm prosperous. They would correspond for a period of time. And this is like, <clears throat> I want to say early 20th century. And they would correspond for a time. And then he would convince them to come to Quiet Dell. And then he would murder them and bury them in his basement. And he killed lots of them. So sensational was the story. The butcher of Quiet Dell. So sensational was the story that they had to hold the trial in the high school theater on stage because there were so many reporters had showed up. And of course, the judge in West Virginia, they elect judges. So the judge was no dummy. If, we've, if people want to come, we'll move it over there. So if you, if you think that coverage of grisly murders is a new thing, the sensationalistic coverage of grisly murders, you could go to Marion County, West Virginia, or wherever in 1910 or whatever, and see a trial conducted on stage. My obsession. Hit it. Chris, the mainstream media finally admits begrudgingly that the Hunter Biden laptop is authentic. So this Politico's reporter and pal, Ben Schreckinger, Ben, I hope that doesn't tank your career, me saying you're my pal, but- uh, Over for Ben. So he writes in a new book that, yes, he has been able to corroborate some of these emails. They are authentic. Politico's playbook features this. It's interesting. It's really gotten no wider media coverage after all these people in October of 2020 said this is Russian disinformation, banned from Twitter, banned from Twitter. We can't spread misinformation. The thing that that drove me crazy about this is that conservative media has been working and like, at least to my satisfaction, successfully authenticated parts of this laptop. But the mainstream media will like only admit this if it is one of their own who decides to turn to it. And so often like they just ignore stories be- and they don't get out of conservative media. But, you know, the Beacon has been able to authenticate some of those emails. And and the New York Post, of course, is their story. They authenticated these things. Hunter Biden's former business partner, Tony Bobolinsky, had already said the emails were authentic. That guy. Anyhow, Politico about a year ago, October 2020, they ran a story with the headline, Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinfo, dozens of former Intel officials say. Now that story is accurate. Who had that? Politico. Oh, God. Okay. That story is accurate because the story was about a letter signed by dozens of former U.S. intelligence officials saying that the laptop bore all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. But it struck me a couple things. One, like it is dangerous to rely on the say so of these so-called experts. Sure. So the signatories of this letter include Leon Panetta, Jim Clapper, Michael Hayden, Michael Morell, people who have like worked in the high <laughs> reaches of government. Yeah. So there were, you know, 50 of these intel professionals who said this when it, create it, the headline Hunter Biden stories, Russian disinfo, dozens of former intel officials say, now I'm going to wait for the story where the Politico reporter who's not seen it goes to these people and says, so like you got it wrong. Right. Where's the new letter? Where's the admission? And just last week, the New York Times called the claims about Hunter Biden's laptop, quote, unsubstantiated. And then just like with the whip above quietly edited the word out amid criticism and backlash. So what we've gotten, I think, is a grudging admission from the mainstream that they that their narrative about the laptop was wrong. But in like, 
you know, whispers and murmurs and. So the New York Post, how how far before the election? It was in October. So it was just a few weeks, I think. Was it a few weeks? So I, yeah. my rule basically is two weeks. If you've got something, if you have dirt on your opponent and you bring it to me and it's less than two weeks from the election, I don't take it. There's just not enough time for it. Ugh. I know, I know, I know. There's, I, 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 I. Guys, the beacon, you know, we we're welcoming your tips. Yeah, I closer to the election. I, it's 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 not it's not right for me to do, and I've had to pass on stories of domestic abuse allegations. I've had to pass on stuff that's too sensational, and there's just not enough time. If the person is in it, well, this was in your window, Chris. It was three weeks before the election. Okay, so so, so the post the post was was that it was fine to do it because by my lights because there was there was lead time, but it is also true that it certainly could have been doctored. Parts of it could, the, the thing with stuff like this is there could be stuff on that that is not true. There could be. However, the stuff that people went to others about and said, so your name's on this email, including. Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. They were like, yes, that's my email. Like there's no need to authenticate the entire thing. Well, you don't have to uh, authenticate the entire thing, but you do as you have done, as your crew has done gone through and authenticated specific parts and talked about those specific parts. And that is responsible and appropriate journalism. That is correct. I have an email. So you, so you don't say everything in here is legit. We don't know until you go through and look at all of it. What I find interesting. Nobody has done. Which no one has done. It's impossible. It's so much stuff. Which I, which. Uh, yeah, they're like, can we track down the hooker who's in this picture straddling Hunter Biden and, and ask, keeps is that really picture, you? or Who keeps a picture of that? One of my colleagues said to me, he's gone through this laptop, and he said to me, the thing he is most astonished by is the extensive documentation of sexual acts and interactions. Right. That, like, well, he did. Incredible. He the number did get of it on with his sister-in-law. Yeah, true. The widow, the, his brother's widow. If if you if you if you can do the hokey pokey with your brother's widow, you are you are you are either a from the fifth century or kind of gross. So anyway, the the Hunter Biden spin, I think, has been pretty effective because basically what he has said and the the story that did you did was it you that shared the story about his art. That's my favorite thing. To get from <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, well, well, stay tuned. Yes, yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> Which brings us to in now that time of the week, Chris's favorite, my and uh, where we say something nice. So, Chris, you can go first since this will actually be new to the audience, and you already stole my thunder. Oh my gosh! Oh my. So, what is yours? First, the first thing I want to say, something nice, is I when I travel for speeches, when I go around the country, contact me at leading authorities available for bar mitzvahs. When you guys (laughs) totally open to take thousands of dollars to speak to your trade group. When 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 I travel and go to events, I was very lucky this week. I got to MC the Competitive Enterprise Institute annual gala. And it was great. So, but people love you. They love you. They come up and tell me they love you so much. Guys, this is what they call a self-selecting audience of the people who come up and tell Chris how much they love me. Hey, we're nerds. We got, I got it. We, I understand. If you're listening, you're, if you're a beef stew eating 12 year old nerd, I love you. And my heart is with you because I am like you, but people really do love you. And it, I, I love, I love to hear it. And I love to see it. But my 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 say something nice is about the I want to open the link here so I will get it all right. But it's the 
afternoon newspapers were a staple of American life for certainly more than a century, that you would have a morning newspaper and you'd have an afternoon afternoon newspaper. And some papers did an afternoon edition. In big cities, there would be papers like the, in New York, the um, International Herald Tribune uh, that would have weird deadline, uh, have weird press times throughout the day so that there'd always be papers out because that was the, that was the lingua franca. Like the newspaper was how people communicated. I've worked for an afternoon newspaper and I love an afternoon newspaper because in the morning, who has time to read it all? Afternoon is better, blah, 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 blah. So here is a shout out to the Spokane, Washington Spokesman Review that at 29 years ago uh, shuttered its afternoon edition, has brought it back as a digital product. So in the afternoon, they update everything and they send out a whole new afternoon edition of an updated newspaper and they send it out to their print subscribers and that is brilliant, and I love it, and it's the right time of the day. Afternoon newspapers are great, and I love that they're doing it, and I love that they're thinking about ways. The virtues of newsprint are many. Uh, The downsides are many. It's expensive, it's hard to get places, it consumes unnecessary resources. There's, There's a lot of reasons that print has gone by the boards, and I get it, but the virtues of print are many too. One of them that we lost and are trying to regain are, and I know that you think about this at the Beacon, I know that the Dispatch thinks about this, serendipities. So you would never, when you read the print newspaper, you read stuff that you wouldn't otherwise do. When you read the Wall Street Journal, you read uh, the New York Times, I was gonna say the Washington Post, but LOL. When you read great newspapers, You read them and you read stuff that you wouldn't normally do. You read an obituary, you read a culture piece because it's there. I'm here reading about the boring nerd stuff that I want to read about. And then boom, right over here, here is a culture piece or a scene piece or an obituary and it's right there and you read it. So papers are getting better, but reading broadly within the newspaper is easier than it is online because what does online do? Online's like click into a rabbit hole. We want you to fall, we're we're gonna suggest more stories like this one and it it doesn't broaden your mind so that's something that we're struggling to do but afternoon newspapers afternoon editions were great things and here's to you uh spokesman review for bringing it back right on my favorite item of the week is an atlantic feature on hunter biden's forthcoming yeah art show and sale by casey michelle i hope i'm not pronouncing mispronouncing that last name but i really loved the following quotes from the article. <laughs> At some point in the coming weeks, hundreds of thousands of dollars will be funneled to the son of the sitting American president, and none of us will know anything about who sent the money or where it originally came from or why anyone chose to send it in the first place. Now, this raises the question of who would be buying Hunter Biden's art for prices reportedly as high as half a million dollars. So what are you are you kidding? In the piece, Hunter, half yeah, it might not dollars? be for the art, Chris. But that's why we're thinking it might not be for the artistic talent on display, which is what the next thing gets to. Hunter's artwork isn't bad, per se, 
certain base level skill is evident in the paintings. Sebastian Smee, the Pulitzer Prize winning art critic for the Washington Post, told CNN that Biden was comparable to a, quote, cafe painter, by which I mean you see a certain kind of art in coffee shops and some of it is okay, and a lot of it is bad and sometimes it's surprisingly good. But you wouldn't, unless you were related to the artist, spend more than $1,000 on it. Certainly not. I, I mean, I'd spend $1,000 on a Bob Ross original, but other than that, I think, I, I, I think, I think, no, that is scandalous. Good for the Atlantic. That is really. And like, let's, uh, will we be seeing this on CNN? I know they're going to be devoted to covering all the murdered young black women, but <laughs> will they be able to squeeze this in? I doubt it. Oh my God. Uh, I, well, I would just say people rightly criticized Donald Trump for using his hotels and properties at, to launder tribute paid by people trying to do business with the government foreigners and su- yeah and sucking up to him right that was that was gross and the emoluments clause i was i was about to say we better hear about the emoluments clause now <laughs> uh because if hunter biden noted cocaine enthusiast and prostitute and, and prostitute patronizer and by the way here's kudos to hunter biden for living through it right he was badly obviously deeply in the throes of his addiction he obviously had a terrible path to walk obviously his uh, older brother who was lionized and adored by his father who was being groomed for running for president himself one day having that guy be your older brother and then having that guy die is rough right that i i get all of it but a half a million dollars for his paintings is a scandal and uh, biden should be asked about it that's gross Chris, that is all the time we have left this week. That's our news about the news. If you have a story that you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches. Wretches.